You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. I'm Dessa, and this is Deeply Human. Why you do what you do. Before you were old enough to know any real swear words, some of the spiciest epithets hurled at your peers may have sounded like this. Hey! No budging! Alternately, no cutting in line, no skipping, no budding. If you grew up in Ohio, you might have called it ditching. In the UK, queue jumping or barging. In Brazil, you pierced the line. Arkansas, you broke it. For pint-sized tweakers and the grown-ups they turn into, the standing line evokes strong feelings about fairness, about justice. But why? Now is the time to insert your mouth guards because we are going into the dark heart of the standing line, a place full of violence, sex, power struggles, and tiny little underbites. When you're surfing, there is a very distinct cue for the wave. Once you start to learn the rhythms of it, you can see there is a line for the wave. And if you break that or do what's called dropping in on somebody, that uh, can lead to fistfights. That's Jason Farman. When not surfing, he's a psychologist who studies how humans wait. Well, technically, I guess he is still a psychologist while he is surfing. The wave will break at a particular point, and if you're too far to the left or too far to the right, you won't be able to catch that wave. So people know where that point is, and then the next person in line kind of drifts over to that exact point. But sometimes somebody's on the wave already, somebody who's new will drop in on that person further down the wave and, and cause that person to fall off. And so there's a very clear hierarchy when it comes to waiting in line for waves. I was next. Yes, exactly. So then what does that confrontation actually look like? Is it just like, are you kidding me? Yeah, I've been in those kind of encounters before where as soon as you start to paddle back out to the waves, there's there's an argument usually. Like, you broke decorum, you broke the rules, uh, you dropped in on me. I bet that's not the words that are used. No, yeah, yeah, it's a little, <laughs> yes. You broke decorum, I'm very disappointed in you. Yeah, no, it doesn't quite sound like that. But can it actually escalate, I mean, to, to fists being thrown? Oh, yeah, 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 that's not uncommon. Beach-bronzed vegans in hand-to-hand combat in the warm sands of paradise. Even surfers, like, freak out when they think that they've been skipped. Which can feel like a disproportionate response, because it's not like the ocean is out of waves. There's another one right behind you. Jason has studied waiting behaviors all over the world to see what we're really doing when we're in line. 
What's interesting for me is that we all tend to kind of despise waiting. We tend to want to use our time well. But within cultures, what waiting looks like is dramatically different. In Japan, there are very strict rules around waiting. As you approach the Tokyo Metro, there are even little lines that everybody is supposed to line up on. And anybody who breaks those norms, it is very frowned upon. And then you see that in the wake of something like the Tohoku earthquake and the Fukushima crisis, where people queued up for rations of food and water. And the lines would be just tremendously long, but they were very orderly, very single file. There was no disruption to that because culturally lining up comes with very specific notions of decorum to maintain the cultural identity of the people in Japan. In some Latin countries, a customer entering a shop just calls out, Ultimo, who's last? Then there's no need to stand in line because everybody's made mental note of their position in the sequence. In Britain, where I'm recording this podcast, the ability to form neat waiting lines is a point of national pride, which I find both endearing and totally bizarre. The author George McCash wrote, An Englishman, even if he's alone, forms an orderly queue of one. In the U.S., feverish capitalists that we are, we get a special varietal of line stander, the hired gun. Meet Robert Samuels, who waits in line for a living, queuing on behalf of his clients for Saturday Night Live tickets, limited edition merch, book signings by heavy hitters. I've met Hillary Clinton. I've met Michelle Obama. I've met Bernie Sanders. I've yeah. met Jimmy Carter. Yeah, so that, that's a cool part. And sometimes if the customer only wants one book yeah. and it's two per person, then I score and I get one for me. So... <laughs> Before the pandemic closed Broadway productions, I met with Robert in Manhattan waiting for Hamilton tickets. And when I texted him to arrange our meeting, I asked for a photo so that I'd be able to recognize him on the street. And he just wrote back, I'll be the first one in line, which seemed like such a total boss move for a professional line waiter. I asked if his job made him better or worse at waiting in his own personal lines. If I'm going to wait in line for a customer, yeah. I'm happy, it's cool. I know I got paid for it, but if it's something I have to do for myself, there are times where I'll hire my own line sitters no, to go don't. wait for me. No, you don't. Yes, I do. God, I love that. Robert is intimately familiar with all the codified rules of waiting in line and how serious we can get when they're broken. There was one instance where I was waiting for a pair of Nikes. Uh-huh. And a bunch of people in front of me decided to put chairs down and leave. Uh, so I had like maybe 15 or so chairs in front of me. And it was me by myself. And then people came behind me and they're like, yo, what's Other people here? started arriving and they're asking, uh, what's with the chairs? And Robert says, oh, uh, those people just went to grab food. And the new arrivals asked, when? Like, what time did they leave? And I'm being honest, oh, they left about an hour, hour and a half ago. Um, I said, oh, no, F this. We're not, we're not tolerating this. They start clearing the chairs. And I knew when the other group came back that holy hell was going to break out. So I called 911 and said, please get to this block because all hell's going to break loose when these other guys come oh. back. And I didn't want to be a part of it. Because I knew, I knew what it had the potential to turn into. Which was? It could have got physical. Robert is essentially a mercenary here, but there is still a code of conduct. Also, the chair stuff is it's just not very 
civilized. That's just being inconsiderate and yeah. having an inanimate object hold your spot. And you can come back at any time. That's just rude and disrespectful. It doesn't count. And it just goes against the spirit of line sitting, if there's any, you know, that makes any sense. Lines are supposed to work first come, first served, which makes them fundamentally egalitarian. Everyone has to wait their turn, no matter who you are. So it isn't just an inconvenience when someone cuts in front of you. It's a moral transgression. In some cases, even hiring a line sitter can pose a real problem. Years ago, CNN reported that line sitters, some homeless, were being paid to hold spots for lobbyists to gain access to congressional hearings. In 2015, the Supreme Court of the United States banned lawyers from hiring line sitters to hold spots in the lawyers-only line to hear oral arguments. As surfing psychologist Jason explains, people in power can buy themselves better, shorter weights. There is a meme that's been going around It has a picture of Beyonce, and it says, why aren't you Beyonce? She has the same 24 hours you do. Uh, And I don't think that's accurate at all. We all do have, objectively, 24 hours, but we are often forced to use those hours in very distinct ways. Uh, I think about people who have very long commutes to their second job, and time is very different for them. The people in a grocery store line who have to, you know, use food stamps or cash and count coupons, they're using their time at that checkout stand very differently than I have to. I don't know this for sure, but I have the strong suspicion that Beyonce doesn't spend too much time in line. Yeah, exactly. I think if you look at lines in general and think about how people are afforded the ability to skip the line or to reduce the line, you can see some really interesting power disparities going on. Who can afford uh, to board, you know, with pre-boarding um, or platinum status? God, uh, I sometimes do it and I feel such class guilt. Yeah. I feel <laughs> yes, so exactly, yeah. humiliated. Right. <laughs> oh, God. Do you do it? Can I ask? Uh, no, I don't. Um, uh, I wish I did. No, but, you don't. Yeah. <laughs> I take the overhead compartment, but Jason takes the high road. Social class can affect not just how long we wait, but how much that waiting sucks. Take, for example, the research on the waiting rooms in Buenos Aires and in other parts of South America where welfare recipients queue for their benefits. They might talk to somebody to say, I'm here to pick up my check, and they'll have them wait in the waiting room, and there's no feedback in the space. What does uh, that mean? Like? You know, at the Department of Motor Vehicles, you take a number, right. and you have a sense of maybe where that number falls in a queue. There's none of that in this space. Not knowing how long the line is, or your position in it, makes the whole experience worse. That's why we prefer a progress bar on a computer to that spinning beach ball of death, because uncertainty creates anxiety. There are too few chairs, so people are often standing around. There are kids crawling around on the ground. So it's a space where it emphasizes your lack of agency. It also emphasizes your position within the society that somebody else is controlling your time. The way we structure our waiting lines reinforces who is considered unimportant, whose experience really just doesn't matter because they're broke or otherwise powerless. Conversely, The waiting experience can also be designed to elevate the people in line. Here is Dick Larson of MIT, also known as Dr. Q for his work on queuing theory, describing a top-of-the-line line. line. There used to be something called the Manhattan Savings Bank in New York. 
People would come in over their lunch breaks, which created a big midday rush and a bunch of complaints. So then one of the managers thought, hmm, I'm going to hire a concert pianist from 11.30 a.m. to 1.30 p.m. every day. They hired the concert pianist. The complaints about the delays dropped to zero. Customers were seen waiting in the lobby after their banking was over until the current musical piece was completed. And I read in the New York Times that some guy was arrested for selling tickets of $5 a piece to get into the bank lobby. One particular American company has really delved into both the math and psychology of standing lines. If you visited one of Disney's theme parks, you've probably seen the fruits of their efforts. The Imagineers can throw a hell of a line. And here's Dr. Q on Disney's mastery. One example is the Q channel. You never can see the length of the Q. The line is chunked up into little bite-sized segments, so you're not daunted by how long the tucker is. They line the Q channels with amusements. Don't look now, but here comes Goofy. Be cool. Act cool. Stay cool. Goofy! I still love you! They might have a sign out say, if the line is out to here, you might expect an hour of delay. But they intentionally pad the times. So 45 minutes later, husband says to the wife, honey, we're 15 minutes ahead of schedule. The lines at Disney are so good that gaggles of kids think they're already on the ride. Which reveals the fact that our, our real problem with most queues isn't the time we spend waiting. It's the idle boredom. If you're relentlessly entertained, you'll happily spend most of a vacation day standing in line. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Let's now take leave of our costumed princesses sweating into their polyester corsets and meet another sort of protagonist, Trader Joe. Trader Joe's is a grocery chain in the U.S. I ride hard for their crunchy lentil curls. They're known for their store brand organics and the epic lines. Like, the entire floor plan is sometimes occupied by a single line snaking through every aisle. There is an employee paid to hold a sign on an eight-foot pole that reads, end of the line. Experts call this a serpentine line. It's long, single file, and folds back on itself. And it's actually preferable to the parallel lines you see at most grocery stores for two reasons. First, a serpentine line ensures first come, are first served. Whereas with parallel lines, you're plagued by that anxiety. The other line is moving faster. Second, a serpentine line is good at distributing any delays. 
So if a register goes down, traffic is simply rerouted to the other stations, as opposed to leaving a single line of stalled-out customers boiling with enough grocery rage to air-fry their lentil curls in their own cupped hands. Before doing this podcast, I hated serpentine lines. Entering Trader Joe's, I thought, are you kidding me? But now, knowing what I do about queuing theory, I'm like, okay, okay, these guys know what's up. Where's the pole guy with the end of the line thing? Now, let's take this shopping cart underwater. Okay, easy. Careful, please. Those are, there's eggs in there. Some of them are green with red spots. Others are orange with neon blue stripes. Oh. And they've got a bit of an underbite. So you'll see that there are little teeth on their lower jaw sticking up. That's Marion Wong. She's a behavioral ecologist who studies little tropical fish called gobies. I have colleagues that have told me that they think they're the ugliest fish on no. the reef. But for me, I just think they're beautiful. It's like they're so ugly that they're beautiful. Marion lurks around coral reefs spying on fish for a living. And she's discovered that the social order of the gobies involves a strictly controlled waiting line. I'm British, so I know a lot about queues. We spend a lot of our time in queues. I told you. And these fish do a similar thing, but what they're queuing for is access to very limited breeding positions. So in their group, breeding is monopolized by just the most dominant male and female. Mm. And everyone else in a group is reproductively suppressed. So they're just not allowed to breed. And so what happens is, is they're queuing. They're waiting for the dominance to disappear or die. And once that happens, the next largest non-breeder will then ascend in that hierarchy to become the new breeder. And everyone else ascends one rank up. In the realm of the gobies, only the homecoming king and queen are having any sex. And every other fish is in a line of succession behind the power couple, waiting for one of them to get eaten by a predator or wander off or die. And every fish knows exactly where they are in line. And Marion and her team know, too, because each fish controls its body size to make sure they're a little smaller than the fish in front of them. They essentially diet to make sure they maintain their exact position and cue. So when they first come into a coral, they're just really tiny babies. They've just spent three weeks in the ocean as larvae, and then they settle into a coral, so they're automatically right at the end of the queue. And gradually over time, they might be able to ascend in rank. And every time they do, they grow just incrementally a bit more. So if I'm rank one and my dominant gets eaten, how long does it take for me to develop into the dominant, you know? Behaviorally, immediately. Wow. You will start to notice that the subordinate is just really happy. (laughs) And they'll just be a little more aggressive. They will keep checking up on their own subordinates to make sure that, you know, they're in their proper place in in the coral. They may also start to flirt a little bit with the remaining breeder. If I just got promoted to breeding goby, what does my flirtation look like with the other dominant? (laughs) Um, You tend to sort of swim up to them um, and wiggle. (laughs) Okay, not safe for work. Let's move on. Family show, family show. If a goby tries to jump the queue things can get ugly. They will lock jaws, uh, which we sometimes call mouth fighting. And when they lock the jaws, they are just basically in the throes of a a full-on brawl. 
It can last for several minutes, and after that, usually they break away and the loser will then get kicked out of the coral. Once it's evicted, it doesn't have much chance, I'm afraid. So back on land, how does Marianne herself respond when someone tries to skip her? Jawlock? Headlock? Matlock? I usually will say something, because a lot of the time... This kind of negative social behavior goes unchecked. And so that allows for it to continue. We're actually doing, you know, what would be defined as a social service because we're trying to stop queue jumpers wherever they are. You sound like the Batman of lines. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. Aquatic researcher slash line vigilante Marion Wong. The secret of your identity is safe with this internationally distributed podcast. Marion's gobies can spend the better part of their lives in line, and some people do too. Hello? Hello. Hi. Hey, is this Mr. Janosh? This is... Brian Janosh wants something very badly, and he's prepared to wait a very long time to get it. Like, what's your current position online? I am... 117,210. So only 117,209 people in front of him. Brian is in line for Green Bay Packers season tickets. For those of you who don't follow American football, the Green Bay Packers play for the state of Wisconsin, and they are, incidentally, the arch rivals of my home state's team, the Minnesota Vikings. Demand for Packers tickets is insane. You can call them. The lovely woman who was on the phone with me, I could only assume her name was like Doris. Um, I asked her then how many people are in the line total. She said it's 139,000. And I said, okay, so that's what, 30, 40 years? And the first thing she did was laugh. She said probably longer than that. So I don't know. I mean, like at this point for real, like it's not so much for me. Like if this happens, you know, I'll, I'll be in my 70s, my 80s. It's sort of like throwing a wish in a well, it feels a little bit, (laughs) or something. You are more or less, at this point, thinking as much about your children and the next generation as you are yourself. Do you have kids? No, I don't. Get on that. If there's anything, you know, high on my list of why to procreate and have kids, it's like someone's got to keep my place in line. It is impossible to overstate the lengths that people will go to for these tickets. The team doesn't allow people to sell them, and they can only be willed to a spouse or a blood relative, which prompted a dude on Craigslist to offer to marry and divorce a ticket holder or to be adopted by one to get the transfer done. There was someone one point in time who offered like money to legally change his name so that he could take someone's Whoa. tickets. There have been things like that that I've heard about. You know, I'm not a fan of that. I feel like it's not very Green Bay. It's not very, like, Packers spirit, you know? We're all in this together, and um, that attitude is one of, like, looking out for one another more than it is for, uh, you know, jumping your place in line. That sounds a little more like Vikings fan behavior. (laughs) Not cool, bra guy. Let's back off. Does it feel worth it to stand in this line? Sure. This line is like a a way of identification. It's a badge of honor. You know, it's like, I'm happy to be number 117,210. Do you ever wonder, like, are those people getting tickets or are they dying? It's probably a bit of both. (laughs) 
definitely is there's a little morbidity to uh, standing in this line because you know <laughs> there's only two ways out of it. We'll check back with Brian every decade or so to see how he's faring. So, you know, stay tuned. We all spend a decent share of our lives in line. For tacos, at the emergency room, for the last train home, back for more tacos. We hold positions in a web of invisible lines, too, waiting for an unknown clerk to approve a loan or run a background check or grant a marriage license. Lines, with all their potential for foul play and righteous violence, are like tiny single-file republics, self-governed temporary sovereignties, where we are asked to regard one another equally. Bring a book, but also, like, bring your best self. Next time on Deeply Human, we're investigating symmetry and beauty. Why are we so attracted to symmetrical faces? Deeply Human is hosted by Dessa. Classic third-person maneuver and is a co-production of the BBC World Service and American Public Media with iHeartMedia.